For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops, you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. Before we jump into the episode, I have to tell you about the newly renovated Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom in Scottsdale. They've partnered with over 16 local designers and cabinet companies, of which I know most of them. I can say that this really helps give the immersive experience for anybody wanting to visualize their future kitchen. It's a place to start, experience, and bring your vision to life. Product experts assist you throughout the entire project, view an array of options, and see them in full-size kitchen vignettes. Turn knobs, open drawers, ignite flames, determine the best fit for you. Chef-led demonstrations provide the opportunity to ask questions of the experts that use them every day. Schedule your appointment at subzero-wolf.com backslash Scottsdale, or you can call 480-921-0900. Communication is one of the biggest problems I see. Like, communication, like we don't know how to talk to each other in a way that we want to be talked to or we are not communicating clearly or we just assume people know what's going on in our heads and it's almost as simple as like hey every monday you just need to send this email weekly so the team knows what's going on so welcome to the at construction podcast i'm brad levitt and today we have a special guest jordan diorio with us welcome jordan Hi. Good afternoon or whatever time you're listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. A little Happy... rainy here in Phoenix, a little blizzard there in Minnesota for you. I was just going to say radically different. I would take rain over a blizzard <laughs> any day. At least you can drive in the rain. I don't feel like people people forget how to drive the second it starts to snow, but it's very festive, I feel like, for the holiday season. So I don't mind it. Yeah. Well, here I would maybe question that because here in the rain, people can't drive in the rain in Phoenix. So <laughs> oh, maybe it's just or a humanity is... thing. Maybe people just can't yeah. drive when it's not perfect outside. I, maybe that's I, what's going on here. I don't think anyone can drive anymore. <laughs> and anyone's texting and driving at the same time anyways. <laughs> Correct. I just, listen, I'm all for the driverless cars, please. I'm a terrible driver. It's like very well known. It's a public service <laughs> if I'm not on the road. So um, I'm ready for a driverless car. I'm ready to not be driving my own vehicle. So if you know anybody, I feel like you'd be on the pulse of that, Brad, where you would know like where I could get a driverless car. So that's your to-do from this call, just so you know. Okay. Well, I'm surprised you haven't started that business <laughs> because anyone, Jordan, I, I've been blown away only because you're a serial entrepreneur. I think that's the easiest way to like give you a title. You have these amazing businesses. 
super female oriented, which I love and just like your perspective on that, which I do want to dive into. Um, mm -hmm. but I think one of the most amazing things about your story is who you are at 23, you know, seeking venture capitalist money. You start your own company working in Nordstrom, small of America. Mm -hmm. How in the world at that young age are you going that quickly into, uh, you know, the corporate world and starting your own company? Yeah. You know, I always, I always remember like when I was in high school, I told one of my best friends, I was like, I'm going to run my own business by the time I'm 30. And it's just that I Why? feel like come from, um, I, you know what? I've never felt like I could fit into any box. And then I found that that was my biggest strength. Don't force myself to be something. I might as well just create that something. And I started, so that first business that got venture capital was a jewelry business, self-taught designer. I wanted my MBA. I couldn't afford it. So I just started it out of my apartment. And I get that. I feel like entrepreneurial spirit, gusto. I come from a big Italian family and parents, my dad's very much has an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like it's just something that I grew up around, just a kind of a, a little bit of organized chaos. So I wanted to take a risk, which to me felt like a low risk was, and poured all my savings into a jewelry business. And then, which was the business I got funding. Um, and then I just ran it for two years. It's crazy to think about. I was 23 when I did that, but like, I feel like there's something really magical to your first business. You're naive in the best way. You're not afraid to take risks. And I got into Nordstrom because I asked a manager if she would do a pop-up with me. Like I just asked. And then I called her every week until she said yes. Um, but yeah, I just feel like it was the, the naiveness in the best way of like, I wanted to create something and I had the, the money behind it to kind of be fearless, which is really, really awesome. But yeah, no training except Shark Tank on how to negotiate all that. So, <laughs> so when you say way. Shark Tank, just just from watching Shark Tank, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. from watching it, totally. So, and I love uh, Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful and Barbara are my favorite sharks. And everybody hates Mr. Wonderful, but he invests in women because we usually exceed our goals. Like they, mm -hmm. we usually like outperform the goals that we set. So watch Shark Tank. I think it's super informative and it's a good masterclass in pitching your business and how to do it well. I'm going to come back to that, especially as you mentioned, Mr. Wonderful. He does always invest in female businesses. Yeah. But to that point, I mean, from your side, mm -hmm. Jordan, here you are, 23. You're starting mm -hmm. a jewelry business. Competency to understand and even connections, venture capitalist money. Mm -hmm. What does that entail? How does that either enhance or dilute the product and opportunities as well as connection at Nordstrom? How does that open up? Mm -hmm. I know this is kind of a multifaceted question, yeah. but there's a lot of elements to make this happen. Yeah, I think... It's a great question. I think you're as good as the people you're surrounded by. And I know that's so cliche, but like, there's a reason why smarter people than me say that. So my business partners are limited like by business. it. Correct. Or, you know, they say you are the sum of all the closest five people to you. And my business partners were both self-made entrepreneurs. And I consider them like business parents. Like they saw something in me. They knew I didn't have like a business acumen, but they saw something in me that they were looking for, which I'm honored to even have. And I hope to give that to somebody else in my uh, future when I'm rolling in money and I just want to give it to somebody. But um, I think I made a lot of the different things happen with that first business because I wasn't afraid to ask. I mean, you don't ask, you don't get. Like the worst thing that Nordstrom manager could have said to me was no. And then I would have just like, 
called them or found a way or flown to Seattle and found a way to get in front of them. Um, I think that was the biggest thing is just meeting as many people as I could and then figuring out, okay, who are going to be the people that advocate for me? Who has influence in the room in Minneapolis, outside of Minneapolis? Um, and that was just putting myself out there. I know it's so painful and like, I'm a millennial, I'm a digital native, but like when I first started that business, I was emailing five people a day to meet coffee for meet me to have coffee. And I was like, some people said no. Some of those coffee meetings were super awkward. But <laughs> to this day, like some of those people are super and it's not just me taking it's like, it's a mutual beneficial relationship. But like, like people like we all work for people, we don't work for products, we don't work for these companies. It's like, who are those people that have influence that are 5, 10, 15 years ahead of you or even behind you that can help you. So like how I got into Mall of America, Nordstrom, all of that was me trying to get in front of the right people who could help advocate for my brand or be in the rooms that I couldn't be in. So it's so cheesy, but it's like, it's the people you get yourself in front of and you have to convince them in a short amount of time that they should, you know, meet you for coffee for 20 minutes or have a virtual Zoom, which is sales. Like that's totally just sales one-on-one. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question completely, but I think it's there's so many nuances to it, but people are a really big piece of it. Um, and I believed in the product and the brand because I created it. Well, yeah, absolutely. But what's interesting to that point, Jordan, I mean, I, I, I look back, especially as you become more mature, maybe in, in your company and idea of sales and processes and relationships, mm -hmm. and there's an authenticity side, which you have, you know, I mean, you, you sh you'll showcase that to anyone listening here, but more importantly, I, you know, I look from my side as, you know, I go to industry events, maybe like the builder show. And in mm -hmm. the past, you know, it's like, okay, there's brands I'm working with, but who's behind the brand. There's always people like real people mm -hmm. that are running social media, running their marketing, whoever, and building those relationships and finding out who they are. You know, that's really increased my relationship with certain vendors and that's totally changed. Now our relationship in the industry, when I need product and I know someone behind the scenes that I can speak with and there's so much coordination between businesses mm -hmm. that people just don't understand that face-to-face -face how important it is totally and i think too to that point which has kind of led me into my consulting businesses it's all in the details it's all in the details and at the end of the day like your words only mean so much like what did you actually bring to life and i like hit hard on that because like i'm an executor like through and through like if there's something that needs to get done like i'm just gonna deliver on it like you would be surprised how often things just don't get done because executing is really really hard and i think we undersell it because it's sexy to be the visionary and the strategic thinker which i think is important you need to have both but if you can't deliver or have a really solid team on delivery like to me it's like how successful really is your business i don't like people that just talk like I want to see you bring an idea to market, even if it's not 100% ready. I mean, I wasn't even ready for Nordstrom. They were like, do you drop ship? And I was like, sure. And then I hung up with them and I was like, what the hell is drop ship? I don't know. You know what I mean? But then I called all these smart women who had done drop ship with retailers and then I figured it out. I mean, I cried a little bit here and there because I was like, what am I doing? I have no idea what I just signed myself up for. But like that skill set will take you very far in the sense of like, just try it. Like you're never going to be hundred percent ready. I wish people would stop that. You're like 80% there and then you got to jump or you're never going to get anything done. And then what do you, what do you have to make of yourself or your business? It's kind of harsh, but I, I'm just a deliverer. I want to see, I want to see the work. And especially for the work you're in too, you know, when something's not getting done, it's physically not there, <laughs> which you can't hide yeah. from it. 
Yeah. And you know if you're good at it or not because you can't hide from it when you see it in the work that you do. So when were systems so prevalent? Because I know you've been big on systems. We'll get into this, how mm-hmm. agnostic they are. But, you know, a key process from the jewelry business from men to like all the stuff you're doing now, how mm-hmm. important, especially when Nordstrom says, okay, Jordan, can you drop ship? Okay, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's figure this out. <laughs> and now my purchase orders are going to change with Nordstrom. How right. do you start delivering to execute? How do I produce? So I think, too, the, what makes my experience with my jewelry business so great is it's been a case study on how to scale a business in a really short amount of time, which is what I do now as a consultant. is just like operations and scaling for any business. But when you're a product-based business, yeah, first question you got to answer is like production. Who's making all the stuff? Because it can't be me or my fingers are going to fall off. That was actually the first thing my business partner said to me. They once said, you need to clean up your numbers. You need to know exactly what you're spending every single month with like a fine tooth comb. I presented to them every month. Like they, they truly um, trained me to think a, a, think as a business owner, not just as a designer. I think that's that I think is the biggest difference is like, what are the mechanics of being a business owner? And the first thing they told me was, clean up your numbers, know what you're spending, why you're spending. But then also from a product standpoint, what's your cost of goods? Why is it costing you so much? You either need to raise your prices or you need to negotiate lower materials. And then the third thing is, is they were like, you need to outsource production. Every minute I'm not in front of somebody selling the product, getting the brand out there, the business was losing money. And like that was the most humbling conversation I had ever had. Because again, when you're comfortable, you do what's the easiest. And to me, it was like, I'll design and I'll do marketing. But it was, no, you need to go into the numbers. You need you need to go and travel to Tucson, Arizona, go to the gem show, negotiate materials at this dollar amount so that you can, you can make money off your product. Because if you're not making money off your product, what are we doing here besides losing money? <laughs> we don't want to do right. that. So... Um, and I, and prior to Nordstrom, I had set up all that production. So I, and I outsourced production to an all female owned production house in New York. I sent them product. They would make it for me. So I had all the production set up prior, um, which I could afford because I priced everything properly and I knew what I needed my materials to be at. And that's a really hard exercise, but it's just a spreadsheet. And then someone to just QA your work to make sure that the numbers are all matching up. Um, but what's hard about just any product-based business is your margins. Like what are you have to see the range of your margins and like what you sell online versus what Nordstrom wants to purchase it at versus what a boutique wants to purchase it at. Like you have to know what all those numbers are and if it's worth it and if they're going to do the volume you want. But you don't learn any of that unless someone's asking you those questions or you're finding out at the end of the month like, oh, shit, I just bled X amount of dollars because – my num- and again, like these things I learned as I was doing it. I was like, oh, I'm not making money on this or, oh, I need to negotiate this. So I, again, it's your first business. You're kind of learning it as, as you're doing it. So yeah, I production was a big priority the second I got VC funding. And that's what set me up for success with Nordstrom for the year and a half I was with them. The complexity always blows my mind. The reason I say that, Jordan, is because when you think about a product such as yours, I know you mm-hmm. maybe didn't sell on Costco, but if you go to someone at Costco, Costco is going to come mm-hmm. to you and say, okay, Jordan, I want 10% of all mm-hmm. revenue for you having your pop-up in Costco. So they get 10% plus we want a product that no one can find or buy anywhere else at a deal they can't find. So you have to have that <laughs> vendor. Then you have Nordstrom's. And I'm just saying a lot of vendors look at this. Yep. And just because Nordstrom comes in and says, Jordan, we want to drop ship and buy all this stuff. Well, okay, they're going to negotiate a price as well. And then you have to understand mm-hmm. just by more sales doesn't mean more money because production costs Correct. go up. And material. I mean, there's so many elements you're trying to balance with all this. 
in competition. I mean, it's huge in retail just because like trends change or ch you're chasing trends, chasing new ideas. But I think competition is a good thing. I think it makes you a better business leader, but it's also really challenging because you have people that want to nickel and dime you or rip off designs, or you have to kind of know what lane you're going to stay in. And that's why I'm such a big advocate of like your brand. Cause it's like anybody could make simplistic gemstone jewelry. There's probably hundreds of companies that do it, but my brand is what kept people around the mission behind the brand, the branding that I did was such a big piece of it and like living and breathing the brand that is a key part of it too, to differentiate yourself. Um, but yeah, it was a wild ride and I still have mend. I don't take a salary from it anymore. I stopped taking venture capital. Um, and some higher power was looking out for me because 2020 hit. And if I would have taken on venture capital, I probably would have been out of business just because I would have had to pay us myself, which was a salary. There would have just been no way for a luxury jewelry business. I'm not an essential item during a global pandemic. Um, so I still have my business, still run it myself. I'm in the process of trying to sell it. I'm, I'm at a place where um, I've grown it. I believe in the brand, but I want to now integrate it um, with another retail business that I think could take it to the next level because my next business, which is my consulting business, has really taken off. And I, I think I've found my, my sweet spot there. Um, but yeah, it's my baby. It's my first business. I learned so much about myself. I basically got my MBA in two years. Um, and I got paid to do it, which is kind of yep. amazing. Um, and I had so much fun and I've met the smartest people along the way and some not so smart people, but like, that's a small percentage. The larger percentage are the smarter people. You kind of, you run into idiots no matter what you do. I found <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to be smart to do certain things or make a lot of money, by the way. <laughs> we are everywhere, people... <laughs> Jordan. So watch out. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I love this. Hit, okay. This is a yeah. good yeah, pandemic hits, but here's the transition is you have JDP yeah. Consult now. So yeah. this is where I'm fascinated because just like your expertise and knowledge and the, mm -hmm. like you, the, the way your mind works to understand all this as you're consulting all these women that were there yeah. at BizCom and stuff in our group. But um, speak to that opportunity because I know with that, you're working with Katie Kath as well, who's been on the show and, yes. you know, JCath Design. Love her. She's yeah. my Katie's homie. Awesome. I love Katie. She's <laughs> so great. She is She's one of the few people I want in a stressful situation. She is a problem solver and like does it in such a calm demeanor. Any Anything stressful happens, I'm calling Katie Kath. She's in the right business because it feels like your business can be stressful. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> All the time. Um, so I, so in between MEND and the pandemic, I did a minor stunt, stint. I never know which one it is. Stint. It's like you're there for a short period of time. You stint. know what I mean. Yeah. Stint. Mm -hmm. It's not a stunt. Yeah. Stunt is wrong. Because then it seems like I was yeah. just doing a stint. performance. A little stint. Yeah. I did a, a little stint at a publicly owned technology company. Um, at the time, health insurance sounded wonderful. So I took it and... Uh, publicly owned Minneapolis-based company, uh, publicly tra publicly traded, had investors, all of that good stuff. I got really amazing experience on uh, on the op side and the communication side, specifically when it comes to like acquiring and selling businesses. So I got like a year and a half, two years of experience working with a lot of money in a tech space. And it's not that I didn't love it, but I was just like, I'm not passionate about software. And when you're at an organization that long, you just kind of, you see your ceiling. You see your ceiling mm -hmm. or you look at other positions and you're like, I actually don't see myself there. 
but I got really amazing experience of like the mechanics of when businesses get to a certain size, what needs to be in place for them to either sell or acquire other businesses. So I got really good experience there for a year and a half. And then I took the leap again to run my consulting business where it's JDP and I'm a fractional COO and I found no one knows what that means, <laughs> which is like <laughs> market opportunity. Um, and I, I help businesses grow and scale through operational inefficiencies, but it's, I think it's more of transforming businesses. And what I have found is that there is no right way to operate a business. And, um, this is where I kind of want to turn the tables on you a little bit is I want to hear about how your business is currently operating, what's working, what's not, we don't have to call anybody out. But I want to hear like a real time case study of how is your business operating, what's working, what's not, and then I can kind of tell you what I would do. This is like a like live, okay. a live, uh, live consultation here on air. <laughs> yes, sure. I, you know, this is something that's and and maybe set the stage here. So you know how it is when you're kind of the creative visionary, and I'm not the most creative person, but I, you know, I understand marketing and value, and you know, I, mm -hmm. I understand, you know, of course, our industry, the building industry. Um, but the nitty gritty system side like that's not mm -hmm. my strength and you understand that. So I hired the right people and I have McCall and Spencer in my company and they're really good systems and they come with ideas and organizations. Mm -hmm. It's great. So I would say over the last, I've had my business 10 years now and over the last, oh, five years, it's been really good. You know, we've set some great systems. We're dialed in, especially now, like we're going to have our production meeting this afternoon after this podcast and every production meeting we have topics. So Here's where we're looking really strong right now, Jordan. So from our operation side, eight months ago, this was probably one of our weaknesses. Like we have good people, but there was this disconnect of supervision in the field mm -hmm. execution, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I promoted Spencer, my director of operations. And now what Spencer's done is he's working with all of our vendors. So for example, a cabinet company may be working on six of my projects. So he's coordinating the cabinet companies, say, here's the priority. Here's where we need to hit the schedule. So he's working on schedules and driving projects and getting the quality mm -hmm. and that customer interface. And so essentially that part's been fixed. So like the operation side is doing really good, mm -hmm. you know, because now Spencer, Adam, myself, we can all have touch points with the field, field people have support. They're feeling they're getting the training they need. They get mm -hmm. the support they need. They're not just on an Island kicking off the pier. So the director of operations role was huge. Now, What's interesting is you think financially, even though I understand, you know, uh, job costing and I understand our whip, mm -hmm. right? Our work in progress, which is really important. Here's part of the challenge is we've moved completely to cost plus. And what that means is we share every invoice backup, you know, itemization of everything in the house goes essentially. So what happens is it's great for the client because they have a full snapshot month to month of mm -hmm. the billings. They know exactly what they're paying me, where my profits at, everything's fine. And on the level of homes we're doing, that's important. However, it's a lot of paperwork. People understand on the cost plus when I submit my pay up each month, there is a lot of paperwork and work and mm -hmm. we have to have invoices from subs so that we can put that in the pay application and the yep. banks need that. And, and so right now our weakness that we're trying to figure out is how can we format our billing to be more fluid and take less time because right now it's taking so much time for my accounting team, my accounting department mm -hmm. to clean that up. And that's something that we're focusing on right now and for next year to fix that aspect. And there's still the mm -hmm. element too, Jordan, you know, our business a little bit and it's hard to be long winded, but 
there's no still, i love it this uh, is so this is great and this is just such a good case study of how your problem is specific to your business how you solve it is specific and then you see where the gaps are and why you're resolving it i think it's great you're giving a live case study of a version of ops that works for you which is great of which i've never shared on air right i mean I'll oh, share it maybe oh my god i things, totally but- <laughs> put you on the hot seat Hey, it's good. But but the thing is that I think anyone listening can relate to, okay, that you have the, the billing side. And, and again, I have an amazing team. Like they're just mm-hmm. incredible though, what they do. There's just so many projects and it's so complex that there's a mm-hmm. lot to it, you know, and we have one build that's 60,000 square feet and another is 20,000. They have every upgrade possible. I mean, there's just so much to coordinate. But another element to this is pricing because you're trying mm-hmm. to give customers a good snapshot of what the project will cost, keeping in mind that my builds are typically one to two years in design and then one and a half to three years to build. So, I mean, these are mm-hmm. two to four to five year projects. It's really had hard to forecast where the market's going to be and price wise as much as we totally. estimate. Totally. And with COVID it went crazy and yes. now it's coming down. And so that's where, okay, how am I going through, when I'm going through a year and a half design, how can I paint a clear budget as the client's mm-hmm. making every selection and designing the house and then we go hard price it is there sticker shock? Are we within range? Is the bank going to approve that? Or, yeah. And then you're going into the billing side. So these are kind of the elements of things I deal with on a regular basis that we're trying to format systematically. Wow. Juan, thank you for sharing. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you in the hot seat, but I always it's just okay. feel like it's, it's best to explain what I do through the anecdotes of people that are in it because everybody's operations run differently. First off, your director of ops uh, amazing you hired him he's probably a unicorn because people oh, that are in operations completely. roles i mean so that hard. is the yeah it's super hard what i have found to be a surprise in this business is how emotional it is because in order when you when operations aren't working it shows in the culture. Just like you said, if you have an accounting team, it's taking them twice as long to do something. That's hard because then their workload is more, it's costing you more money, but it's also like causing the team a little bit of grief because it's, you know, there's got to be a better way. And I think we forget that like operations, usually when people hire me, things aren't working, which means the culture is probably not a hundred percent great or there's challenges with how people are working. And it, I truly think you have to like transform into the leader. And I think about like you, like if you had something operational that wasn't working, it starts with you. Like, are you willing to change? Because if you are going to implement something, you have to live and breathe by the thing that you're selecting. I don't just sell people systems to use. Like you have to be willing to change depending on what the end goal is. So for you, if it's optimizing billing so that you save your team more time and therefore it's more profitable. Great. But also long-term is if you want to continue to grow your business and you want to have more clients, you need to have a more efficient billing process. So I feel like the ops is yes, it's in the day-to-day. It's what's getting you from A to B. It's the systems, the processes, the billing for all your clients. But where does AFT want to be in the next 10 years? Like if you're trying to grow it and sell it, or if you're trying to grow it and give it to one of your kids, because I know you have a big family. I come from a big family, which I love. Um, you have, how many kids do you have? I can't six. remember. Six? Yeah, yeah I'm one six. of seven. Yeah. So yeah, fun. Yeah, five daughters. It is so five fun. daughters and a boy, so. Oh my God. 
That is amazing, by the way. It's yeah. it's so fun. You will be taken care of and teased your entire life. So buckle up. It's happening. As I'm used to it, but you know what? They're siblings. little entrepreneurs. They're super <laughs> amazing, and that's why I love guests such as yourself, Jordan, which we'll get into yeah. just like your commitment to the female, you know, aspect yeah. of the industry, which is great. Absolutely, and. Yeah. The the point I was making is I think operations, again, it's not just the systems. I'm not going to just say, hey, if you use this tool, it's going to solve all of your problems. That's just not how it works. Operations is such a larger thing. It's it's where is your business going to be in the next three, five, ten years? Like what's your strategic plan that you're running towards? Can you financially sustain that? Are you Are you financially in a place where you can hire those five people in the next five years? If not, why? Because what you just mentioned your pricing needs to go up or your overall expenses need to be maintained or they need to be lowered. Like ops kind of plays in all parts of the business. I even overlap with HR because some people are like, how do I know if I'm ready to hire somebody? I'm like, well, first off, can you afford them? Do you know, do you even have an HR person to help you set up that process? Because HR processes can be super hard. So I'll partner with a lot of HR folks. Um, but I feel like where I've spent a lot of my time with a couple of my clients is the financial aspect is when can I start making X amount? When can I be making more money? Why am I not profitable? Why is it taking so long to close my client work? Like the financials piece I have found is really important. Um, and then are the tools that they're using actually work? And do people even like it? I guarantee you everybody has an opinion about the systems and processes at your company, whether it's yours or somebody else. And there's a level of like, uh, it's lack of a better word, but like evangelizing. Like I come in and it's my job to convince everybody and get them excited to try a new thing, which means change. And change is hard. And I like a challenge, as you can tell, <laughs> starting multiple businesses. Um, but that's, that's what I love to do is I want to transform businesses because I ultimately want more businesses to exist as a small business owner. I want more of them to exist. I want you guys to make more money because that's, I'm a big advocate for that. I think there should just be more businesses. And sometimes they're just, they, they misunderstand the importance of the foundation that if you just get your ops in a good spot and you know where you're trying to go, like sky's the limit, but there's just going to be some growing pains along the way. Um, but I loved your example with your billing team is you've noticed that it's a consolidation project. Problems. So you need to streamline how billing mm-hmm. uh, manages all of the work, and it's super detailed management. But to me, that says as a leader, you want, you value their time, and you know that it's something that's only going to get worse if you don't deal with it. So you're doing the right thing and asking the right questions. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows, and they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, 
They're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Well, thank you. Well, I can't say, I mean, you it, you know, as a business owner, the more you're involved with your business, and I've learned this from consultants such as yourself, Jordan, is that, you know, it, it, the more I can look at my business and see the bottlenecks. Where are the bottlenecks? Where's the points of frustration, mm-hmm. the pain points for my team? Where are things getting hung up in the process? Where's the discouragement coming? As you solve those from operations, accounting, pre-con, you know, these are things that really solve things as a business owner, especially in construction. What's unique yep. for you, Jordan, which maybe you can speak to this is that, okay, you're, you're a consultant, you're, you have a consulting company you're working. And mm-hmm. what's very different for you is that you may have me that's saying, okay, Jordan, come in. I need to work on, maybe it's not company culture, but here's these bottlenecks, these operations and mm-hmm. things. That's one aspect for like a service, a fee industry. Then you have Katie Kath on the other hand, it's like, I'm going to start my own cabinetry business, but it's going to mm-hmm. be more of a distributor, you know, and I'm working with people that are buying direct. And so you're building a whole database and inventory and selling widgets. So, I mean, it's kind of two, mm-hmm. one selling widgets, one's kind of operations, a little bit different. And for you, mm-hmm. you've been big on business or agnostic. It doesn't matter what business you're in. There's principles. <laughs> How does that play into, you know, consulting two different businesses that are so distinct? Yeah, I think the first, again, I always say like, no, and I think that's something you can, you can ultimately return or feel some uh, comfort in is that there's no one right way to operate a business. There's obviously like business fundamentals and frameworks you can use to help operate your business, but there's so many pieces of the business that are at play that I come in and the first thing I do is you may tell me you think what you know the bottleneck is, but most of the time I have to unearth it and I have to unearth it by being a part of your team for a certain amount of time. So for a couple months, I am in all the meetings. I'm reading every piece of documentation you've ever written, processes, uh, really fun part of the job, which people would, some people would say it's terrible, but I very much enjoy it because I'm getting a download of what's going on with your business versus what you're telling me is going on with the business. And that's usually what I will unearth. Oh, you think it's a billing issue, but actually it's an issue with X, Y, and Z. And then usually a larger project gets unearthed that like I will help implement on or help them get something off the ground. A good example would be there was an events company I worked with. They wanted to make more money. They wanted to hire folks faster and that's what they thought their issues were. But in actuality, the biggest bottleneck was them trying to create invoices for their clients were super manual because they also had rental furniture and they needed an inventory catalog that was digital for people to custom make their own invoices, which is a huge project. Had nothing to do with hiring. Yes, we can help them forecast financially, but to me, it was another revenue stream that they didn't even think about. So again, you can come in thinking you know what's going on, and sometimes that's true. Other times, it may not be what you think. For Katie Katz's example, she initially brought me in to help her bring her vanity collection uh, to market, which is beautiful, by the way. I cannot wait to purchase one of her bathroom vanities. She had had this idea for five years and had no idea of how to actually get it to market. And I have gotten products to market. I know the operations and the nitty-gritty of getting something from an idea to actually getting it to market. So in a few months... We had CAD drawings, everything to a fully developed and built vanity collection site. So that was one part. And then as our relationship continued to evolve, she was like, hey, 
I'm looking for more efficiencies in the way our production team works versus our design teams. How can you create more efficiencies? And those teams are so different. So culturally, how do I approach these teams and offer a framework and a system that helps them do their job more efficiently? And it's hard because you're forcing people to say, hey, what is it that you're doing? How long is it taking you? And how can we keep you more accountable? So I've it started off as like a product-based, like, let's just get a vanity collection out the door because I had that experience. And then it's evolved into how are we creating efficiencies within you know, a cabinet shop and a design team to offer the best client experience. So, it, you know, I I think the work I do is kind of squishy and it's, but at the end of the day, I'm helping people look at the gaps and not be afraid of them and say like, actually we can fix most of these things we can fix or um, optimize in some way. So yeah, it's been very interesting how, so but- far. Okay, but here's my question for you because this this can be challenging, and I think a lot of business yeah. owners maybe listen to this. That and and you alluded to this that there's always pushback. But one of the hardest things with yes. operations is you come in and Jordan, you're asking someone, okay, what's your scope of work? How long does it take you to do this? Where are inter- in, inefficiencies? Right? There's a culture thing. People are resistant to change. They're resistant to oh, all yeah. these conversations. You bring an outside consultant, and now they're like, is my job in consideration? I and and here's one example I'll give. So yep. when we do for the quality side, we do what's called the AFT team walk. And so what that means is as we get to like eight weeks left of a custom home, house is painted, I bring in my whole company. Mm-hmm. So my superintendent who's been running the job for a year or two, he's going to have 17 people from AFT show up, office staff, field staff, and we're going to tag the house. This is wrong. This paint touch up, this tile, you know, we're QCing the whole house. And so he, the, the, the superintendent has to sit there and write down everything, all the punchless items, and he can send it out or she, and Mm -hmm. essentially we have this amazing detail quality home. Well, it's great now because company culture wise, that process has been set, but early on, you know, our superintendent early on didn't understand the -hmm. importance of that and was super offended. Anytime someone say, Hey, we got this touch up, they're taking it personal, right? Mm -hmm. And other people have said, Brad, we like the team walk idea, but people take it personal. And so how do you bridge just the human element side? So remember how I said this job could be emotional? I mean, ding, ding, ding. You just nailed that one on the head. I would say this is part of the job that I also enjoy, again, because there's the challenge. And um, I'm based in Minneapolis, but I'm from Chicago. As I mentioned, I come from a big family. So I don't really shy away from um, being upfront and honest. And one, I believe in the clients that I choose. So if I'm going to work with you, I stand behind you as a business owner. I know you've got my back. And I ultimately think that like operations always comes down to people. And my approach is just upfront and honest. Like, hey, this has nothing to do as a reflection of you as a person at this company. This It's just honestly having a one-on-one conversation. Sometimes people cry. Because sometimes people don't know that they're valued at a company. Seriously, it doesn't matter if they're a $50 million client, $250,000 client. Someone always cries when they talk to me, by the way. (laughs) There's always tears because my approach is never, I'm going to come in and I'm going to tell you what to do and how it's wrong. It's no, I'm in the business of making things better, better than I found it. This is not a reflection of you. This is a reflection of looking at the bigger picture of how can we make the business better and Part of my job is to get people on board, and that's super hard. It's a lot of convincing. It's a lot of buying people coffee. It's a lot of like building relationships, which I love doing, as you saw when I started my jewelry business, emailing five people a day. Like a big part of what I'm doing is 
yeah, I can't fix the culture, but I can at least be honest about my role. I'm not going to come in and just, you know, flip tables. I want to make the business better because again, I care about small businesses and I want them to exist. And if we're not making money and if we're not going to be the most efficient, what are we doing? So I think it's just having an honest approach, but understanding that like I've been in their shoes to some extent where I've been in their role. I understand when an outside person comes in, but I'm not coming in acting like I know everything. I'm here to kind of problem solve with them. And I've also found that people will find me as an ally and they will give me feedback about the business that they're too afraid to give leadership. And then I can be the liaison to say, hey, this is why X, Y, and Z isn't moving as fast as you think. So I, I almost kind of feel like I'm playing telephone between key people in the organization and leadership because I'm an outside person. So I think it's just being honest and just letting them know what I'm here for. And there's no secrets. It's just, this is what I've been brought on for. And again, I'm just here to make your business better. And if people are really difficult, I just have a come to Jesus moment with them where I'm like, hey, you're being really difficult and you don't need to be. Like, but that very rarely happens. I've found that I can get get through to people. But um, yeah, I just think it's being honest. I even think with your business, just having a more transparent approach makes it easier to bring someone on like me. So um, I'll know how difficult it is based on like the culture of when I just meet with leaders um, the first time. But it's still hard. It, there's no perfect way. But I, I just try at least to be upfront with them on what the goal is of having me there. And um, I'm going to try and be a plus one to them and not feel like more work um, to partner. This is why them. you're spot on, though, right? This is why we need these conversations sooner. But what's funny about the example I gave is that what I found since that before we just, I'd expect, Hey, team walk, here's why we do it. You guys need to mm -hmm. figure it out and read my mind why we're doing this. That never works. <laughs> right. And they're super offended. <laughs> but when you set the tone, like, Hey, this is the intent. Yes. This is why we're doing it. This is mm -hmm. the benefit. Here's how to help you. You know, you become snow blind looking in your house for two years. There's things you're going to miss. It's going to help you get a mm -hmm. detailed list. It's going to expedite it, save time, whatever. But we're, I, apply it now as well as, you know, we're big on site cleanliness and it's not perfect, but mm -hmm. I find that with site cleanliness, it's very much the same. When I tell my supers, Hey, when that trade shows up to the job site and you have orientation time, Hey guys, it's time to frame. It's time to do concrete. It's time mm -hmm. to do drywall. Here's my expectation. Here's why, you know, here's the thought process behind it. Here's the branding we have. Here's the marketing. Here's the value to the client. When they are bought in, then it's a lot easier to say, Hey, can you go clean up your area? Can you organize your tools and your inventory and your right. product? Instead of just saying, hey, Jordan, it's in your contract. You need to keep the site clean. Why isn't it clean? Right? You totally. have to educate them and sell them on the vision first. I'm telling you one of the biggest, It do, again, does not matter the size of your business. People will always get emotional because it's hard to change is hard. We're all human. Change is hard. But also like communication is one of the biggest problems I see. Like, communication like we don't know how to talk to each other in a way that we want to be talked to or we are not communicating clearly or we just assume people know what's going on in our heads and it's almost as simple as like hey every monday you just need to send this email weekly so the team knows what's going on like it's creating these habits of especially as a leader like how communicative are you being with them do you understand how they want to be communicated to is it clear why you're asking them to do these things. Like, I think we underestimate the power of communication. And in a world where there are so many different ways <laughs> to talk to people, sometimes the easiest thing is just to like hop on a quick phone call, chat with them in person, go grab coffee. Like, 
I just think we've overcomplicated that part of our business. And communication is usually a big uh, challenge amongst any of the clients that I work with. They don't know how to communicate to each other. And it's not clear um, how to communicate to different people. And that's just to me like internal communications 101, which I've done um, for businesses. Because it's important. People want to hear from you. People want to know the why. Because then, as you just said, the buy-in is stronger. They're more invested in the business. Um, and they're more likely to advocate for when things get really hard. Um, so you can't undervalue just like the communication piece. And it's all forms of it. Just what's going on with the business to weekly communications. Um, and knowing when to change those communications too on what's working and what's not. Um but your example spot on. And like, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. It's like just we all just want to be treated fairly and respectfully. And you forget how quickly that goes out the door for some businesses. <laughs> Where does. I'm like, it's oh, crazy. you just tried not being a dick in your approach. You'd be surprised <laughs> how easy it is to get something done. Like, that's always my thought. It's like, you know, Brene Brown says this all the time. Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. Like the clearer you can be, the more respect you'll get as leaders. So I could talk about communication all day, clearly. Well, I can see um, why. But that's just I mean, a trend the thing I've is, seen. But you said don't underestimate the power oh, of Oh, wait, hold on. I think my mic just died. Hold on. Wait, wait. Did my mic just disappear? No, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Sorry if that was me. It's just your audio I, went down. Hold on. Oh, I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Okay. Sorry. Let's try that again. Are you good? Are you good yes. now? Okay. Yep. So... What's interesting, Jordan, is that quote. So you said, because um, you're talking about the never underestimate the power of communication. And so yep. you said, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And so essentially, I've never heard that quote. Right. Mm -hmm. And so setting clear expectations. Yeah, if you dive into that quote, one thing is just it's it's a kind way. It's a great leadership tool. It's mm -hmm. great company culture. I mean, it could go down all these different avenues by having clear, consistent expectations, communication, that's look, that's marriage, that's relationship one-on-one, that's company. You could take that to all aspects of your life. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You start your meetings with here are the three things we're going to talk about. Boom, boom, boom. And then the meeting's done early. Wrap it up. Not to say you can't like conversate and do all that, but like I have met very few people in my life that are just so clear and concise and they just go and I've, those people are amazing and they're usually business owners. Um, they just respect people's time and they know that the clearer I communicate to you, the faster we can move and the less confusion there is. Boom. It's a really good quote. Brene Brown. She gets all the credit for that. She's amazing. That's amazing. So let me ask you this because when you talk about fractional COO, so Jordan, mm -hmm. with that, what does that mean? And then, um, you know, how does that impact a company looking in to say, I need a fractional COO. You know, I need Jordan in here part-time. I mean, essentially what does that role mean for people? Mm -hmm. So I would say there's a couple couple things to consider if you're ready for me is one, I want you to think about what's the biggest thing you're challenged by in your business. Like what is the most difficult thing? Think about that. Um, are you trapped in the day-to-day? -day? Why? Think about that. Why are you trapped in the day-to-day? -day? Um, are you worried about profitability in the business or do you just feel like you're moving slow? And then the last question is, um, is your business ready for transformational growth? Because it's beyond systems. It's like human capital change. So it's, 
And I think the services I provide too that can get clearer for folks is like I basically do an audit of all the things you're working on, operations, financials, basically anything I can get my hands on. I'll do a full-blown audit and I'll say, hey, here's what I think you, based on what your goals are in the next three to five years, if you don't have your strategic plan, I, I do like strategic guidelines, planning with business owners of where are you going in the next three to five years. I do an audit of where is the business at financially, strategically, operationally, give you a recommendation, say, hey, here are the top three things you should work on, or you can just hire me to deliver on it. Um, and usually that'll be um, implementing tools and systems. Pricing is a big one. It's just understanding how to price things, sales strategy, um, where can we be organized, project management. Like there's so much that I can cover but I think it, it really starts at like, where are you at? And having someone come in and give you just an honest assessment of what's going on. Um, and then we'll go from there. But you got to be ready so to change. Such, I'm not yeah, for the faint the of heart. Part. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. Especially, yes. well, it's not easy when someone comes in too, because you may think you have a good operation. Mm-hmm. You may think, hey, and you're most of us are emotionally attached to our business. We've grown totally. our business. So to have someone come in and say, well, Jordan, you need to fix X, Y, and Z. And you may think that's one of your strong suits. That's where it can, you know, be a little sensitive and then really tough to swallow. Right. And I, and again, I, I try and approach things with, Hey, you've hired me for this. Like, remember, I'm not doing Like, I want you to be better at your business. And if I tell you how great you are and that's not the truth, you're just burning money. You're just getting, you're just paying me, which is great. I would love to just lie to you and tell you all the great things, but that's not why I'm in this business. I'm in this business to make businesses better. And sometimes that is like, Hey, the way you've been operating worked for the first three years of your business, and now we need to change. So I think there's a way I can, you know, I can approach it, or other ops people approach it, where it's it's all in the the it's all in the better of your business. And um, in order to grow, you got to change, and this is really hard. And most businesses are going through growing pains that I work with, so it is emotional. And it would be weird if they weren't emotional about their business because that means they care, and those are the clients I care about too. Is they're they want whatever it is that they're trying to achieve with their business. So emotions aren't a bad thing. We just got to, we'll manage them. And then we just have to have a plan. You're allowed to feel how you feel, but then we got to like have a plan and, and be ready to, to change. So it's so, so from fun. the wind side. Yeah. From, from your, and you mentioned it's so fun, but I'd imagine from your side, Jordan, especially as you see the wins, the value, I mean, mm-hmm. speak to like the impact of a uh, succinctly operational business, right? As you see someone who may be struggling as an entrepreneur, in their mm-hmm. business, they have a good idea, maybe a good uh, working on the process. They have a good brand, but they're missing some of the elements, right? They're they're frustrated mm-hmm. with some of the day to day, you know, the value of life just for them. Not only you from the outside coming in, just as mm-hmm. that changes, and you know, these systems are put into place. So you want me to give you like what the impact is if like yeah. if they're like What's given the, the future state oh yeah i mean in my mind sorry that question was just so thought out my mind just exploded i was like what a great <laughs> question because <laughs> it's true it's like i'm always stuck in the like what's not working but i like the yeah well what's the future state like why would anybody mm-hmm. go through all this hard stuff like what's it all right. worth and mm-hmm. to me it's your you're one step closer to achieving whatever your vision is for the business. So you're, if you were an operationally succinct business, it means you are profitable. It means you're investing in your, whether it's in your employees, whether it's in systems, you can, 
you're out of the day-to-day. And when I say you, I'm thinking about CEOs because that's usually who I'll work with first is like the CEOs are the ones that are trapped doing the nitty gritty, the day-to-day. They don't know how to get out. Success is that they have stepped out of it. They're not in the business anymore. They're working on the business because they've understood that they can delegate, they can afford to delegate, and they're better suited in that CEO role than sitting through all the nitty gritty. So when you're operationally succinct, like you're just one step closer to hitting your three, five, 10 year goal. And eventually you'll hit it and you'll hit it faster. So operation succinctness just means you accelerate faster, um, but you're making harder decisions. So I think it's just going to allow you to grow faster if that's, um, if that's a goal for the business. So I, I would imagine Jordan, especially as you're diagnosed diagnosing a business, right? And you're trying to understand three to five years or longer. I mean, most of us should have the end of mind or we should have at least some mm-hmm. timeline or understanding of yep. valuation of the business and you have to build to it and work backwards. But uh, I, I would imagine all the business owners are different in this aspect too. It could be that they value time, travel, money. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe they love their job and they're working 24-7 and they're fine with that. How right. important is that aspect to understand the individual goals as well as the company Huge. Goals? Huge. You have to know because that's like, again, like, what are we doing all of this for? You know, like I think about my consulting business, like I don't want to have a team of 15, 20 people underneath me and that's okay. Like I say this all the time. Everybody's empires look different. I want to be an author and a speaker and I want to have my consulting business and I never want to lose sight of working with my clients, which means that like there's probably a cap on my revenue. I mean, maybe not. Maybe my book that I'll write is a New York Times bestseller and I'm just (laughs) raking it in. But like to be reasonable with my time and the boundaries I have for the lifestyle I care about, I have a certain revenue cap and I'm totally cool with that. It's me and maybe a couple other people underneath me versus I know people that want to have businesses that are multi-million dollar businesses and those need at least seven employees at least. So do you want to be a people leader? Do you want to hire people? That's money on the table. That's a different type of responsibility. And your point, like what kind of lifestyle do you want? I want to be able to work wherever I want, fly to whatever clients that I need to. Um, and that's not a value for everybody. So that's huge. And I think you need to know that up front of it's good to know what you want for the business, but also like what do you want to take away from the business? And that's all part of your strategic planning. Um if you haven't thought about those things, it's huge because you've got a family like, you know what it's like, like you probably want to have boundaries and have space for all of that. So your business has to mirror that. So you can have those things. Yeah. I think that's a good aspect because even outside of just the personal side, the money side, the time mm-hmm. side, you, you mentioned your, your taste for growth too, because that, that can change. Yeah, you can delegate and you can hire, but do you want to have four employees or 45 employees or 400? Totally. And, and it does change to complete complexity and you know responsibilities mm-hmm. and organization. I mean, there's a lot to that. Yeah, do you want that? Because for me, I've found like, I don't know if I'm a people leader. I don't enjoy doing it. I think that's the thing. I've done it. I don't love it, but I would hire people to do that if I had a really small team. But yeah, the dream for my business is not to have a hundred people underneath me. I want to keep it like a tight group so that I don't ever lose sight of the client work. Cause that's why I'm doing it because I enjoy the work that I do. Um, but yeah, that's a huge piece. Is it people? Is it locations? Like, do you want all of that? And like, again, you don't, I feel like we've been sold this idea that you have to have multiple locations, hundreds of employees. And like, if you want to, if you want to make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, that's totally fine. You want to make twenty five million, that's great too. But like, there's pros and cons to both. And like, what are you willing to take on? 
And is it worth your time? Like you, those are all the things you, only you can answer that. And then all the business kind of fundamentals and how you plan for that growth, all that stuff you can hire me for, but no one's going to tell you uh, what you actually want. Like that's, that's up to you. In my mind, it is. So how did all this lead to the Founders Collaborative? <laughs> oh, the Founders School. It's my third business. Even though it was technically my yeah. second, that's a retail. So when I had Mend, me and two other women-owned businesses launched a retail collaborative where we have retail pop-ups around the Twin Cities and we carry all different um, brands. The initial idea came before the pandemic. So 2018, we wanted to create... Um, an easier access point for businesses, small businesses to get into larger retail locations that couldn't afford the rent. So uh, there was a mall called Ridgedale in Minnesota. We had a space there and we carried the brands, we staffed it. It was a way to uh, support small businesses that wanted a larger retail um, exposure. And we, I'm not leading it this holiday, but one of my co-owners is opening up another shop this holiday season. So I care wow. very much about that. Um, and I support that as much as I can, but Founders Collaborative, and you can buy stuff online too. It's mostly women-owned, but I think it's all small business handmade products. But yeah, that just started out of like, why not? Why not try it? And we've kept it going since the pandemic. So many things. So so what do you do for fun <laughs> with all this on your plate? Um, okay, I'm a huge crime person. Like I love fiction, like crime like fiction. Like crime? crime True, tr like true crime. Like I'm pretty sure I was a detective in a past life. Or if I get <laughs> bored with this consulting stuff, I will become an investigator. Like any sort of like national case that's happening right now, I probably know what's going on. I have my own theories. I listen to those podcasts. I read all the books. Like I've watched all the unsolved mysteries. Like I'm, I mean, True Detective was so good. Like I'm into that entire genre. But like it makes sense. My interests and what I do is I like investigate. <laughs> for a living. But it's that and like my husband and I are foodies. So we just spend all of our money on food. Like that's my hobby <laughs> is eating. It doesn't look like it because I'm petite, but like we spend all of our money on food and then travel. But yeah, I'm just like reading, listening to podcasts. It's usually all about like crime, which is says a lot about me. But uh, if you ever need like a good crime book or podcast, I'll hook you up. But they are dark. So you have to be prepared <laughs> for that. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing to get that insight. Now, now this mm -hmm. part's important too, because with your business, yes, you're, you're working with businesses and you know, you're also an avid speaker and you want to be an mm -hmm. author and you're out, you know, the very good public speaker as well. Oh, you know, thank why, you. why, why choose that element? Where, you know, how did that open up and why did you essentially seize that opportunity? Um, I want to write a book cause I want to write a memoir about my experience of running a business when I was 23 with venture capital because I have horror stories and like triumphant stories. Um, partially, you know, family too. I come from a big Italian family and there's a lot of stories where if you read them, you're like, that makes sense. That makes sense why she's the way she is. And some, I just, you know, through a lot of therapy, I've found a lot of the things I've experienced are not normal, but they've made me have a sense of humor now as an adult. So that's just always been a dream of mine, which is in progress. I've written part of it and then been stuck here and there. And then the public speaking piece, I mean, I think stories are really compelling and um, I don't want to get up and just talk about operations, but I think the stories of my customers, the stories of my clients, like everyone has been there. And like, 
I just wish everybody would stop acting like they know what's going on because nobody does. And I feel like I can bring an honest approach when I speak about biz ops or running my businesses or even getting venture capital. Everybody thought money solved my problems, like more money, more problems. Like there's a reason why they wrapped that because it's true. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, I think the public speaking piece is I... Yeah, I think stories are really compelling and I'd love to just share my story and um, I love to just give people an honest point of view and have fun too. Like I don't take myself very seriously, as you can tell. I take my work seriously, but not myself. And we all know we've had like a boring speaker and I'm just not that. I usually come in wearing something very bold and obnoxious (laughs) um, and I want people to have a good time. So it's more of an outlet for me to just share my story and be the person I didn't have as an entrepreneur. That's such a big part. And that like, you can do it as a woman who like had no connections in Minneapolis. I did it, started businesses, got it funding, didn't know anybody in this town. Like it's possible. So there's a give back piece too, where, you know, it's totally possible to do these things. So yeah, it's kind of the goal with all those, all the things. All the things and whether it's give back or even, as you mentioned, it's just here, here's, you know, trailblazer, right? Here's the, the path I blazed. You know, here's some experience, mm-hmm. here's some know-how, here's some little things that, you know, that's the whole intent, right? That there's a couple mm-hmm. nuggets that you get from Jordan, like, you know what, this is what I needed to hear today. I'm going to go right. apply this and work on this. Or, hey, like someone, or like we hear all these stories of these successful people and it's like, we don't want to hear how great you are. We want to hear when you were in the shit and things were hard. Right. Like, that's yeah. why how I built this is such a, you know, successful podcast, which actually Sarah Schultz and I, which I know you met, she is the branding wizard. She's created. Oh, I know. She's going to be on the show. She actually, we just recorded with her two days ago. Yay. Okay. I love her. So her and I have a podcast called The Refund and we basically tell stories and we debunk all these old ideas about business because again, especially as women, we're told all these things and we think we have to follow a rule book when there is no rule book. Like there's none. So that's her and I will talk about that. She's a fantastic uh, brand She's awesome. creative. She did all my branding for JDP. So um, you can see her work in, in real real time. But anyways, we have that show just as, again, an, an outlet, a way to just help people realize, like, you're, you're not alone in this. It's hard for a reason. There's reasons why not everybody can run businesses, just like not everybody can be a doctor. Like, there's just different skill sets. And, yeah, I just feel like we need to have more honest conversations about it because nobody knows what they're doing. Don't let them tell you that. And if they say they are, run. Run from those people because they don't know what's going on. (laughs) So for those listening, Jordan, we got to get them over to your page. So how can they find you and, of course, download to your podcast? So my consulting site is called JDP Consult Co. The refund is just the refund on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can find all the things. And my Instagram is at Jordan Diorio. And I know you'll have all this in the page, Mm -hmm. too. Um, right. And men jewelry is my jewelry brand. You'll you once you find one spot, you'll find all the things are connected with me. Um, but thank you for having me on. I'm a fan of you. Bizcom was great where we met, and thank you for just amplifying voices of other business owners. Hopefully, uh, I've connected with somebody outside of you, of course. Yeah, absolutely, Jordan. We've well, been amazing. I can't thank you enough for making time. I know you're busy, so uh, appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. 
And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.